Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a Crime Writers On classic. We'll look back at our review of Over My Dead Body, Joe Exotic. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. So, Kevin, what are we listening to this week again? Uh, we are going back to our September 2019 review of Wondery's Season 2 of Over My Dead Body, Joe Exotic. So this was the first time we ever met or heard about yeah. Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin, right? Yeah, and as we, you recall, we talked about this last week when we did the review of Peacock, that this is the source material for that one. This is... You know, before Tiger King came out. So we were familiar with the characters when we saw Tiger King. Yes. But as you'll, you'll hear, this is a sort of a, you know, a much more sort of even handed, less sensationalistic way of looking at the the story itself. Yeah. And it was much better. Remember, this was a, a season of Over My Dead Body. We didn't care for season one. We didn't? What was that about? Remember? It was about, oh, the crime was so, uh, I don't know, <laughs> some murder in a, in a garage. And I don't remember a lot about it. It was not, it did not stand up. Okay. Uh, but this was, well, you'll hear what our review was. But, of course, it has the classic opening line. Yes. That we'll get to. So why don't we uh, roll that tape? Oh, by the way. I sound pretty bad because this was back when I, right after I had my surgery. Yes. So that's why I sound like I've been out smoking all night. Oh, no, you were a cancer survivor who survived surgery, so. Yeah, okay, so I guess I don't feel so badly about that now. Let's take a listen. Tell me his name now, I'll put him six feet underground. My question is, is Carol Baskin really this powerful? He's not the problem, You really got to call me back. He was actually talking about paying someone to kill you. Wonderies Over My Dead Body returns for a second season with the story of Joe Exotic. 
host Rob Moore introduces us to the charismatic and controversial exotic animal collector who claims to be a target for violence and arson at the hands of a woman whose husband vanished under mysterious circumstances. This dumb bee down in Florida. Some bitch down in Florida. He would just always call her names like that crazy bitch, that hateful bitch. It was always something bitch. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin down there in Tampa, Florida. She's a sick bitch. <laughs> Joe Exotic's nemesis is Carol Baskin, a fellow big cat lover of different stripes, who highlights Joe's mistreatment and exploitation of his tigers. What began as an effort to protect animals turns personal and financially devastating, making an already unpredictable Joe even more volatile. Carol Baskin, a better never, ever, ever see me face to face. Over My Dead Body, Joe Exotic shows that, when cornered, people can be just as dangerous as wild animals. Grr, baby. We are going to be talking about plot points for Over My Dead Body, Joe Exotic, through episode five. So for our spoiler-free review of this podcast, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Toby. Rebecca. You wrote me an awesome note. You said, quote, I love anything about feuds within subcultures. Talk about that, please. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I love documentaries and podcasts about subcultures. And the thing that makes them even better is when there's a feud because it's so, these things seem so all consuming for the people who are involved in them. But it's just such a small, like the exotic animal world. Like, I don't know how many people are involved in that. And it's so interesting that in these very small communities, these kind of rivalries, which just seem to take on these epic proportions way out of, I'm about to say proportion again, twice in one sentence, but way out of proportion to actually what is going on. They overreact? Uh, just a <laughs> tiny bit. So you got that. And then you throw in like people who own like a hundred tigers each for some reason. And it's just, it's very, it's very weird. Anyway, as soon as I like kind of understood what the basics were, I was like, okay, this is like, this is hitting my sweet spot. Well, I will say, I do want to just do one disclaimer about this podcast for anyone who hasn't listened to it. One thing that's very difficult for me about listening to this, and I'm sure for other people who've listened to it, is there are a lot of, we don't hear it, but we hear about a lot of animal cruelty and neglect in this podcast. And that because that's difficult. It's a difficult listen because Joe's practices are not above board. And I will just say uh, the... Breeding of wild animals for the purposes of entertainment and interacting with human beings is a bad practice. It's frowned upon by people who love animals. And I just want to say that out loud because if we didn't, I know we'll get email about it. That's how we all feel. And we're just talking about the podcast here. But there are some scenes here that are are difficult. Uh, now, that being said, Lara Bricker. Our very own crazy cat lady. Yes. This takes it to a whole new level, does it not? <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, I'm a crazy cat lady with my three cats. These people are off their fucking rocker. I'm like, like who <laughs> takes bobcats in their house? Are you out of your mind? I mean, I understand she wanted to, but when they were describing the scene of Carol having these bobcats in her house, like peeing all over the place, climbing over her workspace, I'm like... Who are these people? Carol and Don bought 56 cats that day. They immediately started outfitting their house, inside and out, with cages. We built a cage around my desk so that I could at least work the real estate business from my 
home and not have the cats peeing on the fax machine and (laughs) everything else. That was what was so fascinating about this was just like this whole subculture of the exotic animal, either sanctuary or shows or what trade. Yeah, trade world. It was just bonkers. And that's what really sucked me in on this was just like, you know, I'm like waiting, like, okay, somebody going to die in this? And I'm like, well, eventually maybe, but... It's, what's the name of the... Th- over my dead body. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, so where is a dead person? But I'm like, well, this whole thing is just so bizarre. I'm just going to keep listening to see what happens next. So, Kevin, we get set up with this, like, the sort of central conflict here is this rivalry between these two people, Joe yeah. and Carol, right? Yep. And basically... Joe's pissed because Carol has become like an animal rights advocate and she's trying to take down what he's doing, which is bad and unethical. We hear tape of these poor tiger cubs being brought to malls and all this bullshit. Mm -hmm. But she's not without her own weirdness. We get introduced to her the very first time we sort of meet her as a character. We hear a scene where she's in a fight with an abusive husband. Oh, yes. Keep going. She goes for a walk out of the house to get away from him because he threw a potato at her. Yes. Carol found herself walking barefoot in a rough part of town, tall and blonde with huge blue eyes. She stood out. Men in cars began circling the block to check her out. It was very attractive, which attracted all of the wrong kind of attention. She meets a man who picks her up in a car. He immediately wraps his hands around her throat. Yes. And says, you know, I could snap your neck. And she thinks, oh, this should be my next boyfriend. (laughs) And so we went to one of those little motels where it's mostly overnight guests that are either truckers or prostitutes and that sort of thing. Carol was sure he would try to put the moves on her. But instead, he just fished out an old pair of pajamas and handed them to her. He held good to his word not to touch me, and it was the first time that any man had done something for me and not expected something in return. And I fell in love with him right then and there. That's how we meet her. And then, of course, later we find out that she in a hilarious meta nod to Wondery, says, it was only when I listened to the podcast Dirty John that I realized all the men in my life were Dirty Johns. Oh my God. So we also hear this arc of her. She starts as a collector, somebody who's buying way too many of these exotic animals and opens a like zoo place where people can interact with them. That's not good. And she later kind of comes around and, and realizes this is all bad and she becomes like a sanctuary person, marries this nice guy. So she's not exactly an uncomplicated nemesis for Joe, right? No, and that doesn't even get into the background of her missing husband. Yes. Well, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking that this is where the story is going. Yeah. And it doesn't. It's just an incredibly interesting side note to their, their tale. But it's her husband who apparently when they first started having an affair, he used a fake name. He didn't want her knowing that he was rich. Yeah. And who comes and says to his secretary... Here's an envelope. If something should happen to me... Open it. Open it. And she puts it in her purse and forgets about it. Let me tell you this right now, any of you. Because he immediately disappears. If you hand me an envelope, any of you, and you say to me, don't open this unless something happens to me, the minute you fucking walk out the door, I'm opening that envelope. I just want to tell you all that right now. I might open it right in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck you got in here? 
Better be the passwords to your social media. You know what this reminded me of a lot, Kevin? It reminded me a lot of, and I don't want to like go into a rabbit hole of something that our listeners won't have read. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of all the crazy characters in one of the books we wrote, Legally Dead. Yeah. You sort yeah. of have these like huge personalities, these crazy animal people. With like animals just everywhere, oh, yeah. pissing and shitting everywhere. In that beautiful <laughs> house that they lived in across the river from me. Yeah. With, yeah. Like, so they had the Italian marble or something in the. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, yeah. So these are so not. So buy that book to find out that story. <laughs> it's called Legally Dead. But Kevin, these are not normal. I mean, so I guess what I'm no, saying to you is they're no. not normal people with normal backstories. Somebody who would buy 56 big cats on a whim, neither of them apparently have any formal experience or training or study in uh, animal husbandry or uh, how to take care of these, you know, I don't know. It's so odd. So, you know, two odd people are going to, you know, bump heads and this is where we go. Toby, where do you put the characters in this story on sort of the scale of sympatheticness, given all that, all the information that we are told about Joe, uh, later his partner, Jeff, you know, like warehousing a bunch of cats, like in a, Warehouse. warehouse literally yeah. carol uh her missing husband who she may or may not have had a part in making gone missing i personally don't think she did but that's just me who knows how do you rank when you sort of have this kind of feud are we supposed to as an audience rank them in sort of layers of like we feel worse for this one than we do for this one like this is the hero this is the villain what do you think like who are you rooting for exactly yeah i don't know i mean i don't think any of them are particularly likable i think carol just because she's under threat of being killed, I guess, probably gets the most sympathy. But, you know, she really has sort of devoted her life to destroying Joe's life. But it's just hard to feel too bad about that because there's like a reason why she wants to destroy his business because his business sucks. Yeah, he's not a good guy. And then Jeff, I think, is probably the worst of them all. I I can't really wrap my head around the idea that I want to own a bunch of big cats Once you have like five, it's like 15, three times better than having five. I don't, I don't understand why you Mm. need a whole bunch of big cats. And then the idea that you just put them in a warehouse, just so like you just own them and can go in and look at them. I I don't get it at all. So I guarantee you, we have one listener that is. Like 50 big cats. Just one. Well, we also know, but Jeff is a bad guy because he's basically using these cats to breed and he's taking them in a Louis Vuitton purse to Vegas to let rich people people pet them, them, which is disgusting. It's just bizarre. It's disgusting. I mean, the, the whole thing, this kind of stuff just seems so clearly like out of bounds that I think you have to start off with kind of a skewed attitude to even start doing this kind of stuff. Like, I don't know why you would think breeding tigers to like sell the people to live in like someplace in America. Why is that a good idea? I don't, I don't get it. I'm not super sympathetic to any of them, but I guess if it had to be one, it would be Carol. Let's talk about how this podcast begins in the opening scene of a polyamorous wedding <laughs> with attendants that are primates. There was a, several people there with different kinds of monkeys. They were for the most part in their strollers or on their mom's lap or in their shirt. Jacqueline Thompson was among the guests. She watched as three men in matching hot pink cowboy shirts and black jeans walk to the front of the hall. Today we have gathered to witness the union of Travis, John, and Joe. And it's the least interesting part of the entire story. 
which I actually love. I do love it that sort of Joe's sexual orientation and being polyamorous and gay and all that stuff that they don't make a big deal out of it. That it is the least interesting part of the story. Like that's what make you're a bigger supposed deal about to do. his mullet. Yes, his mullet to me is a bigger deal, a much bigger. Have deal. you looked at it? <laughs> Uh, I have you watched his YouTube channel? I looked it up and I was just no. like, oh, good God, what is this? But I do want to talk about something else stylistic about this uh, is that the host, Rob Moore, is so like he goes and lives in the zoo, basically, literally. Mm-hmm. He reports as very straight. The writing is very straight. It's not sensationalized. He's very much writing it like a straight reported story. And one of the interesting things I heard in the credits is that Josh Block is the story editor. You guys might remember Josh Block is the CBC reporter who did Uncover Escaping Nexium. At the same time, the story's bananas. is a very sort of measured delivery and a lot of due diligence, tons of sources, right, Laura? Yeah, I think that's the thing that really stood out for me about this podcast is, you know, it is told in that way. And I think when you have a story that's just this bananas, you don't need to tell it in any sensational way. You just lay the facts out there because the story really tells itself. But they had access to everybody, it seemed like, who was involved in this story And it it seemed like from the way that you're hearing the interviews, both with Joe and with Carol and even the poor guy whose arm got bitten off, um, that poor guy. But, um, you know, everybody. The hitman? We even have the hitman. But they were all so forthcoming. So I think that's like a real credit to the way that he's a journalist, the way that he approached it, that he was able to get everybody to cooperate and do interviews. So you really got a full picture of both sides of the story in terms of where both of these people were coming from with their grievances uh, against each other. First, I'm like, I can't believe that these people are so honest about like that just the stories that they were telling. I'm like, I I don't know if I, you know, but I I think that's what (laughs) I liked about this is that it wasn't I, I didn't really feel too much sympathy for either side. But I think the way that it was written and the way that the interviews were done, let you come to your own conclusions. Toby, this is something that I was texting about with you today, too, is that I think our expectations going into this with the cover art (laughs) and I don't remember us particularly loving the first season of Over My Dead Body. And, you know, we have been critical of some other Wondery shows. I think our expectations were that it would be more sensational. And we were texting today about how it's actually kind of well done for as bananas as the story is, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it would have been really easy to make this super lowbrow. You listen to it and it seems like a novel kind of because uh, it's just so full of characters. and Yes, it could be like a, like a John Irving novel or something like that. It has this pretty good story arc and people have got these weird backstories and, you know, you've got these like weird little characters sort of drifting in and out and I, I mean, I think there's a little bit, it's not really a nod to it, but I think you can pick up on when the guy who like spends like a whole lot of time there thinking he's going to be able to turn this into like an awesome reality show. But then it turns out that people think Joe's a little too sketchy. Because he is. Right. No, he totally is. But it's just interesting that this guy identified Joe as like, this could be like the next whatever. On one particularly busy day at the zoo, Rick was filming a tour He was sitting behind about 100 visitors when he spotted a tiger. It had gotten loose. It was slinking around just 20 feet from the crowd and getting closer. Rick signaled one of the animal trainers 
who eventually lured it into a cage with a piece of meat, somehow unnoticed. Later, Joe came to Rick in the studio. Joe said, grab your camera, Rick, let's go. And I go with him, and he goes out. He says, you know, I need more space anyway, and this tiger's caused me enough problems. Pulled the gun off his hip, shot the damn tiger right in the head. He said, that'll teach him mess with me. I did think that was a really kind of fun look into what a producer like that thinks right. when they meet a character like this. Like the guy said, I'm eschewing all of my journalistic ethics here. Like this person is crazy, except he could be a good TV star. So I invested all this time and all this money to be here. And ultimately, like he burned all my shit down, like literally. Even if you do a documentary, you know, it's like all these like cubs with diarrhea and, and you know, oh, that was diaper horrible. rash and you know, sick animals in the background and all this stuff. I mean, it would, it, it just sounds. Well, that's, it, you know, as I was listening to this and there was a lot of horrible descriptions of things that happen to animals. Oh, he killed so many of them for no reason. I guess as I was listening to this, I'm like, so I know that Carol has been like beating the drum and trying to get, you know, him investigated and trying to shut him down. But this stuff was so brazen and so blatant and so bad. Like, I mean, you did not have to be an animal rights expert to know that this is horrendous. Like, how did this go on as long as it did? Was it just that like authorities are intimidated by taking on something of this magnitude. So unless there's something like super egregious in public, they're just going to be like, well, we can't really do anything. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I just wonder how it went on as long as it did. It's actually pretty common, these yeah. big exa- exotic animal collectors in different states. In some certain states where the laws are more lax, it's super common. I've seen photos of like loose lions like running around like Detroit and stuff because people had like these backyard zoos. It's weirdly, so weird. weirdly common. I want to know how he he found so many hitmen. I mean, he seemed to find like not just like Jeez, one yeah. hitman, but like there was like multiple hitman available for hire. Like, I, I, I guess again, I, I lead a sheltered life, but uh, I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> His entourage is pretty sketchy. Yeah. Yes, See, it is. If he just had a little more chill, you know, to be surrounded by all these, uh, you know, these exotic animals and hitmen, he'd be like a really good Bond villain. <laughs> but he's just too fucking wound up. Yeah, Toby wrote a note to me that says, um, he seems to embody a certain corner of our culture that thrives on dysfunction, seediness, and delusions of grandeur slash narcissism. Sounds about right. (laughs) It's like Abby Lee Miller on Dance Moms. I'm sorry, I have been watching a tremendous amount of reality TV this week. (laughs) You would watch the Joe Exotic show. (laughs) I don't know if I would watch that, but I would certainly go by it and perhaps pause for a moment before moving on. Kevin, I have a question for you. Yeah. If you were riding your bike to work. Yes. And Okay, we're already in the fantasy world, but go ahead. (laughs) You saw what you knew to be a hitman get out of a car and come running at you. The passenger door opens and this guy leaps out of the car. And I mean, this guy looked like a thug right out of central casting. A big man wearing dark sunglasses, a sleeveless shirt, and chains around his neck. And he's coming straight for me. Carol frantically pedaled away. Would you just turn around and pedal really, really, really fast to hope that you could get away from said hitman? Um, I think my, my best chance is to fall down and curl up in a ball <laughs> because I would try to like get away fast and I would probably last about 
15 seconds before I hyperventilated. <laughs> I actually did want to ask you one question about the writing, Kevin, and see if yeah. you noticed something. Did you notice that Rob Moore in his narration always explains what people look like and what they were wearing in almost every scene? And he's very consistent as with both men and women. I did not notice that. No, I did notice that the writing was very strong. Mm. I believe that he is a magazine writer. And I think this originally appeared in the New Yorker or I don't know if it originally appeared in the New Yorker, but there's a New Yorker magazine article about it. You know, he certainly brings his strengths as a writer into the podcast, which it doesn't always happen with the talent in podcasts that they are able to transition or, or that they're able to tell the story in an audio version that remains appealing. He's got a very strong voice. He's got good writing chops. The sound that in the production level is excellent, of course. It's Wondery. So, I, you know, I think all around, it's a very strong package. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Over My Dead Body, Joe Exotic from Wondery? Let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down take on this podcast. Toby Ball, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down on Over My Dead Body, colon, Joe Exotic. Uh, yeah, definitely a thumbs up. I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. It's a crazy story. It's told in a way that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable listening to it, I guess. And uh, I think it's well reported. I kept waiting to like start not liking it and it never happened. I was totally psyched to listen to the next episode. So big thumbs up. Laura Bricker, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Over My Dead Body, colon, Joe Exotic. I'm also a thumbs up. It was just a really bizarre story. And the cast of characters, I'm like, are these people real? Uh, as I'm listening to this, because it was just a world that I was not familiar with. It was a hard listen. I did not like listening to a lot of the animal cruelty descriptions and things that happened to some of the animals. So that part was definitely difficult. But I think uh, if you stick with it, I only listened through episode five. I'm suspecting by episode six, we will feel vindicated and uh, the right thing will happen. Yeah, I'm really surprised too at how much I enjoyed um, Over My Dead Body, colon, Joe Exotic. I think the story is thoroughly reported. It's clean. The writing is strong. The sound design is good. I really like the style of our narrator and of the editing. I This is one of those instances where we talk about it a lot in podcasts. We criticize that clearly the absence of editing is felt. You can feel the editing happening here. Like that whole episode about the side story that we hear a worse podcast would have made that protracted and like several arc episodes. And the fact that they were able to limit it to one uh, neatly and cleanly sort of shows the strength of the editing here. So yeah, I, I like this podcast. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. What about you, Kevin? I am also a thumbs up. I think that Wondery always comes up with really interesting concepts for series. Uh, this one, I think season two of Over My Dead Body, much stronger than season one. It's a good tale. Great job by the uh, the journalist host, the ability to get a lot of good interviews and to move the story forward. Uh, I am looking forward to the final episode. I have to admit, I did uh, peek on the internet to find out where this goes, and I spoiled myself, but I still want to listen to the final episode, how they wrap it all up. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. So what are we talking about next week, Kevin? Well, we're going to be looking at the new two-part documentary from HBO Max. It's called Undercurrent, The Disappearance of Kim Wall. I am looking forward to that one. That's a submarine one, right? Yeah, if you remember, HBO did the import from Scandinavia. They did a dramatization of that. The investigation. The investigation. Which we loved, or I loved anyway. Yeah, so again, we're familiar with the story. Let's see how this one handles it. All right, well, that is going to do it for us. On behalf of all the crime writers and everyone at Partners in Crime Media, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Partners in Crime Media.